What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. So hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. Shane here, always a pleasure to be with you today. And um, yeah, just really looking forward to reconnecting, jumping in. Today, we're going to be speaking about um, the secret to life and love, which is about being where your feet are, dealing with what is right in front of you, dealing with uh, the most important thing at hand and not dealing with the other things that are less important. And we're going to talk about what all that means and how to figure all that out. But uh, before we jump in today, I was just chatting with people on Instagram, telling them about the Healthy Love Show. I just want to repeat myself for those of you on the podcast. Um, My friend Anastasia Frank is putting together something called the Healthy Love Show Summit. And it is a really amazing summit that she offers only a couple times a year where she brings together 30 plus relationship experts from all around the world. Um, This year, there are going to be some big names there like uh, Ken Page, Alison Armstrong. Um, Alison Armstrong is one of my personal favorites. I think a couple of my all-time favorite books on understanding men and women uh, were Alison Armstrong's books. So she's just brilliant teacher. Um... She's amazing. All the all the speakers are amazing. I mean, the 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 people at the summit are just really really high value people. Um, it's absolutely free. It costs nothing to join. You're going to get access to 30 plus relationship experts right there in your living room, uh, bringing their wisdom and their insight and their teaching. You're going to get a free gift from every single expert. Um, so there's just a uh, there's so much value to be created. Again, if you just take a little bit of your time to uh, to attend these interviews and um, and just get the value from it. I know it's going to make a huge difference for you. So uh, if you're if you're with me on Instagram, again, as I said earlier, go ahead, shoot me a DM and I'll send you the info. If you're catching this on the podcast, if you look right below wherever you're listening to this podcast, you should find the description for it. And I'm going to put the link uh, to, to subscribe to the Healthy Love Show right below here um, in, in the description for the podcast. So make sure you don't miss this. It's amazing. Um, I've done it. I think three or four times now. I'm, I'm not in every single one, but I will be in this one starting next week. And I've done it, um, I think three or four times before. I've always had so much fun. I've always found incredible value from the speakers and the community. And it is really just such a great high vibe thing to be a part of. And it will definitely inspire you and motivate you. And um, yes, so uh, so look below wherever you're listening to this podcast Look in the description. You'll find the link to sign up. If you're live with me on Instagram right now, go ahead, shoot me a DM. I'll send you the details and let's all meet up next week on the Healthy Love Show and I'll see you there. My talk is on Wednesday, so make sure you don't miss Wednesday, 29th. Um, and don't miss any of it because it's all it's all amazing. All right, so that being said, I want to dive in um, on today's topic with you. And the topic is to be where your feet are. 
to deal with what's right in front of you, to deal with what's important and not deal with what's not important. And I say this after coaching literally hundreds, if not thousands of people in their love lives and and dealing with these conversations is that most of us are hyper, hyper focused on things that are really not that important. And most of us are significantly undervaluing the things that are highly, highly important. And so my my aim in today's episode, and what I really want to convey and what I hope you can walk away from in this episode, is to really get clear about what does matter, what is important, what does serve you in creating love. And what is not important, what doesn't matter, what doesn't serve you. And to really be able to get clear about, okay, like, what is my role here? What do I need to focus on? What do I need to put attention on? What do I need to make effort towards? And to put 100% of your energy, your focus, your effort into that. And to just let the rest of the stuff go. Just release it. Just not try to force, you know, not not try to force anything that that doesn't need to be forced. And I was thinking... um, I was as I was preparing for today's topic, I was thinking back to when I first started dating my wife. And and um, many of you have heard me say this many times. It's like we almost broke up like 20 times in our first year. But I was thinking back to like what that first year was like and some of the conversations we had. And and like, you know, today we have this amazing marriage that we both feel very secure in, that we both feel very at home in. Like, you know, not, none of us are like, we're not waiting for the other person to like walk out the door at any moment, right? Like we feel very secure in this. We feel very at home in this. We feel very safe in this, but it wasn't always that way. And it didn't start that way. And, and actually in order for us to have what we have now, there was this whole period of not feeling secure, not feeling safe, not feeling certain, not knowing what the future held and needing to navigate that in order to even get here. And so what I want to start with in today's conversation is the misguided assumption that I think probably most of you are operating from right now, or if you're not operating from it now, I promise you operated from it at some point in the past. And there's this misguided assumption that when we meet the right person, we're just going to fall into each other's arms and ride off into the sunset and it's going to feel great and we're going to be happier than we've ever been before and it's just going to be amazing. And like, no, I mean, you might have a month of that. You might have two months of that. You might have three months of that. You know, you might even have six months of that if you're lucky. But the beginning of your relationship is not going to be this cloud nine euphoria riding off into the sunset happier than I've ever been in my life. And I I think the reason we think it's going to be that way is one, because of the media and the movies. And, you know, it's it's always presented that way on television. Um, Another reason we think it's going to be that way is because you've had experiences in the past where you met someone and it was like that. And I wouldn't encourage you to play the tape through and ask yourself, well, what happened after that? Like it was like that. And then it wasn't. And what most of us do is we meet someone and we have this electric connection and we're on cloud nine. We feel better than we've ever felt before in our lives. We feel so in love with the person. They feel so in love with us. And we're like, oh my God, I finally found what I've always been looking for. Like this is, this is it. And then a few weeks or a few months later, it doesn't feel that way anymore. 
And we assume that we did something wrong, that, oh, well, I misjudged, or this wasn't the right relationship for me, or or it wasn't what I thought it was, or they were lying to me, or they were manipulating, or, you know, we we tell some kind of story about it. But ultimately, we end up thinking that something went wrong, whether it was the other person, whether it was me, whether it was whatever, we end up thinking that something went wrong. And what I would suggest is that, no, it actually went exactly normal. It actually went exactly right. You met someone, there was that evolutionary thing that's built into our biology that makes us become completely obsessed with each other early on. Why? Because that's what propagates the human species, <laughs> right? Like if, if that wasn't there, human beings would not reproduce and then our species would die out. So there's something that happens in the early stages of getting to know someone where there's like this very intense being drawn to that person. It's built into us biologically. We need that in order for our species to survive. But then something changes because like I was reading a, I was reading a book. I think it was this book by Arthur C. Clarke who it's called uh, Arthur and, and Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey, Arthur and Oprah Winfrey wrote this book together. It's called How to Build the Life You Want. And it's it's really like the science of happiness. So what they're talking about is like scientifically how to be happy. And they talk about the chemicals in the brain and what triggers them, what doesn't, all this different stuff. Fantastic book. Um, really, really insightful book. But something that something that he says in the book that I found very, very interesting is that the experience of being in love with someone. And the experience of being like clinically insane, uh, biologically and chemically speaking, are very, very similar. Now, like, think about that for a moment. Like this, this experience that we're all craving of like being obsessively in love with someone and having someone be obsessively in love with us and, and being like so, so like, you, like, I mean, you know how it is, right? In the first few weeks of dating someone, when you when you really hit that sweet spot where all the chemicals are firing, right? Like you know what that experience is. It's it's what we call being in love, but it's it's really not being in love. It's more like an infatuation. It's more like a it's more like a chemical cocktail released by evolution to make us want to get close to that person and make babies with them, right? But it's it's not it's not being in love. Um, someone asked, "What is the name of the book?" The name of the book is "How to Build the Life You Want," or or I think it's called Building the Life You Want, Building the Life You Want. Um, but it's by Arthur C. Clarke and Oprah Winfrey. But that, that experience that we call being in love, this very intense, obsessive, you know, overwhelming emotional experience of being in love, biologically and chemically speaking, is very similar to being completely insane. Now, like, just think about that for a moment, because like that, it's okay to feel that. It's normal to feel that. It's something we all feel in those first few stages of being with someone, but it's not sustainable. You can't build a life on that. Like you can't even really function normally day to day if you feel that way for long periods of time, right? There, there needs to be some degree of normal consciousness coming back into play. And so most of us think that we're going to meet someone, we're going to fall in love, and we're going to have that heightened euphoria with that person for the rest of our lives. And we think that's what love is. And the truth is, is no, like that one, that is not what love is. Two, you physically cannot maintain that for more than a few weeks or a few months. Like physically, your brain will literally like burn out. 
Like you just cannot keep those heightened chemicals operating at those levels for that long. So there's, there's a natural rise and then a natural fall where, you know, there's this chemical cocktail driving us towards this person and then that dies out. And then we're left with not the chemically skewed version of the relationship, but the actual reality of the relationship, right? We're left with the truth of the relationship. And this is when things like family, work, kids, other interests, friendships, past lovers, all, all this stuff comes into play, right? Where, oh, now we're not just on cloud nine, locked up in the bedroom, like ignoring the world, but now we're trying to have a relationship in real life. And all the realities of our lives are coming into play and we're navigating our relationship within the context of the reality of our lives. And this is the point where you are not on cloud nine euphoria, but you're actually probably anxious. You're probably a little bit depressed. You're probably afraid. You're probably constantly wondering, what should I say? What should I do? Where is this going? Should I leave? Should I stay? Should I keep working on it? And most of us think that when we reach that part of the relationship, that something has gone wrong and it's not going to work out. And I'm going to say that when you reach that part of the relationship, that's when your relationship has actually begun. That's when your relationship has actually started. So when the chemical cocktail dies off and you start dealing with the reality of who you are and the reality of who the other person is, and the reality of your lives and your commitments and your families and your kids and your work schedules and you're tired and you're not, you don't really have the energy for X, Y, Z. That is when your relationship begins. And now there's a process of navigating all of the complexity, all of the nuance, all of the differences, all of the difference in vision, difference in values, difference in compatibility, difference in desire, difference in sex drives, right? Like there's all this stuff that now we've got to navigate in the relationship. And this is where coming into today's topic, it is so important to be where your feet are. It is so important to be dealing with what is right in front of you, what is relevant for you, what is important to you, and not dealing with all the things that aren't. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this. I, I remember I was sharing earlier, like I remember the first few months of first, really first year or so of dating my wife when I didn't know where the relationship was going, we didn't know where the relationship was going, right? We didn't know what the future held. We didn't know if we were gonna stay together or break up. We didn't know what potential we had and we were figuring all of that out. And this was a time that was pretty stressful. It was pretty anxious. Like, you know, we would get together and we would have great experiences together, but then we would go our separate ways and we would get into our lives and she would have commitments and I would have commitments. And like, there was just, there was so much uncertainty so much not knowing where it would go so much of even like within ourselves, not knowing like if I could do this or if she could do this and talk about like, are we going to stay together? Are we going to break up? And I remember one day in particular where it was, it was kind of a challenging time for us. You know, we were, we were working through all the stuff and I don't even know specifically what it was, but you know, to some degree of not knowing 
what we could do for each other or how far we could go and having difficult conversations about that and feeling the pressure and the anxiety and, you know, all of it. And I remember like this day where I was at my house and feeling like very riled up about all this, feeling very anxious about all of it and just really getting present for a moment and saying like, okay, have I done everything I could do here? Like, have I done my part here? Like I've let her know I love her, let her know I care about her, let her know I'm here, right? I've let her know that I want this to work. I've let her know that I'm willing to show up and do the work and make it work, right? Like, so have I done my part? Is my side of the street clean? Have I done everything I could do? And the answer was yes. And then now it's kind of like on her, right? Like, okay, she's, she's got to figure out where she is, how she feels, what she wants, what her next step is, where she wants to go from here. And there's literally nothing I could do from this point moving forward to move the needle in any direction. Right. Like if I keep trying, if I keep calling her or texting her or pushing it or asking questions, like all I'm going to do is drive her away. So like I've done my part. I've, I've managed my side of the street. Things are clean. I feel good. I've showed up to the fullest of what I could do. Now it's on her. And now the only other thing I need to do right now is give her time and space to figure out what's going on on her side of things. And so for me to sit here and spin my wheels about where's it going to go? What's going to happen? Did I do the right thing? Did I not do the right thing? Should I have said something different? What is she thinking? Is she seeing someone else right now? Like for me to sit there and spin my wheels about that would have literally been me exhausting my energy to zero benefit. And so in that moment, I I actually connected to that. I actually got present to that. And I made a different choice about it. I said, okay, I'm going to do something different. And I had um, that day in particular that I'm thinking of, I had, I was in an internship program for this uh, trainer development that I was doing. And I had, um, I had a paper to write for it. And I had some, some, you know, some things that were important in my life that needed to be done. And I made the conscious choice to forget about her to forget about our relationship, to forget about the future, to forget about where it was going, to, to not wait by my phone for her message or, or whatever. Like, just forget about all of it. Just let it, like, literally let it go. Let it leave my system. Let it leave my mind. Let it leave my body. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to put all my focus into something that is actually meaningful for me, which was writing that paper. Now, Long story short, we're cel- we celebrated seven years last month. We're happily married today, just bought a house, planning a family. So it worked out for us. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason it worked out for us. But one of the biggest reasons it worked out for us was my ability to do that in that moment. And in the many different moments that I did that. And also her ability to do the same in her own way, in her own time. Right. And what am I, what am I really getting at here is, is I'm getting at, there is a certain amount of responsibility you have to a relationship that you're building, right? When you're dating someone, let's say like you might be anywhere in the first six months or the first year. 
It might be very new, it might be six months in, it might be a year in, but you have a certain responsibility to that relationship. And and I just said it earlier in, in not so many words, but it's like to let the person know you care, to let the person know that you're there for them, to let them know you want the relationship, to let them know that you're willing to show up and put the work in and make it happen, right? Like I think both partners, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or if you're transgender or anywhere in the middle, like it doesn't really matter in any relationship, both partners have that responsibility. But all you can do is show up with that. And if you're showing up with that, then you've got to give the other person space to figure out whatever they need to figure out and bring that back. Right, so it was it was four things I said. There's letting them know I care, letting them know I'm here for them, letting them know I want the relationship, and letting them know I'm willing to put the work in for it. Now, if if I have made it clear to whoever I'm dating, and this could be two weeks in, it could be six months in, it could be a year in, if I have made it clear to that person those four things, my work is done. And if they're not right here in my face, like, let's spend time together. Let's hang out. Let's go to a movie. Let's go to dinner. Let's go jump in bed. Like, if they're not in my face, then I need to give them space. Oh, I like that. If they're not in my face, I need to give them space. I should coin that. If they're not in my face, I need to give them space. But it's the truth. And, you know, and this is one of the biggest misunderstandings here because so many of us are so afraid to let someone know those four things, right? That I care, that I'm here for them, that I want this relationship and that I'm willing to put the work in for it. Like so many of us are so afraid to just genuinely let someone know that that's true for us. And then what, and, and then we think, well, if I, if I let them know that, if I show them that I care and I'm here and I want this and I'm willing to make the effort towards it, that's going to make me look desperate. And I want everyone to hear me right now really, really clear. Showing someone those four things does not make you look desperate. It's doing those four things and then doing more that makes you look desperate. If you're with me on that, tap that hard a few times. I want to make sure everybody's getting this. Those four things will never, ever make you look desperate. But doing those four things and then following up a hundred times, I did those things. Are you going to do them for me? I'm sitting here waiting. Where are you? I, I'm, I, I, did you notice I did those four things for you? Are you going to do them for me now? I haven't heard from you in four hours. Are you thinking about it? Like, like that is what makes you look desperate. You can never, like, you'll never lose face by just being honest about those four things. You never will. But if you go above and beyond and over and over and over, like, you'll start to lose face. People will start to lose respect for you. And so, in any new relationship, there's going to be a certain point where you have done everything you can do. And now it's on them. And all you need to do is give them space to figure out what they need to figure out and get back to you about it.
And how you use that time, how you use that time makes all the difference in the world. Because this is the most important thing is everything you do and don't do, every action you take or don't take, is a statement to yourself about who you are. Right? So that moment, if I go back to the story I was sharing about my wife, when I was like, okay, I've done everything I could do. It's on her now. She's got to take her time, figure out her side of the street and get back to me. I can't do anything more about her side of the street. So what am I going to do? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forget about her. I'm going to forget about what she's thinking, about who she's with, about what she's doing, about what she wants, about where our relationship is going. I'm going to forget about all of it. And I'm going to focus on something that's important to me. And that was a statement to myself about who I am. That was a statement to myself about who I am. And so you've got to look at all the time that you spend waiting around for someone to get back to you or wondering where they are or what they're doing or who they're with or what they're thinking or where that relationship is going. You've got to really look at how you spend all that time and recognize that how you spend that time is a statement to yourself about who you are. Now, some of you might not understand what I mean when I say that, so let me clarify. When I say it's a, state, it's a statement to yourself about who you are, I mean how you spend that time is literally a representation of what you believe you deserve, of how valuable you believe you are, of how worthy you believe you are, of how much your life matters. Right? So you're, you're like every action you take is reinforcing certain ideas. Like if you sit there and wait by your phone for someone to call or text you, if you sit there and wait by your phone for someone to get back to you, I want you to hear me on this. You are sending the message to yourself that there is nothing more important to your life. That you are not more important than that. That your life and your time is not more valuable than sitting and waiting for someone's attention. Like, psychologically, think about the impressions that are sinking into your subconscious every second that you spend waiting by the phone for someone. Right? Like, think about the message that you send yourself. It's like, it's like I'm, I don't matter. I'm not important. Right? I'll, I'll, like, my life is only about waiting for people to give me attention. Like you are literally sinking that message into your subconscious. And so there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way for you to like extricate yourself from that, right? There's, there's got to be a way for you to put the phone down, put the phone aside and say, I'm going to spend my life doing things that are meaningful to me. I'm going to spend my days and my time and my energy and I'm going to invest it in things that are meaningful. And yes, this relationship is meaningful to me. 
And it's it's good to acknowledge that, right? Like, I don't want you to be so like on your ego trip. That you're like, I don't need them. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Like, that's just arrogance and it doesn't create love or connection, right? So it's good to be connected to the vulnerability of like, this relationship means something to me. This person means something to me. And because they mean something to me, I am going to give them what they are owed by the fact that they mean something to me. And what are they owed? Those four things I mentioned earlier, right? I care. I'm here. I want the relationship. I'm willing to put the effort in to make it work, right? Like my job is to make those four things very, very clear to that person. And that if I, if I have a sincere interest in someone, then I owe them that. And I owe myself that too, right? Like if, if I have a sincere interest in someone, then I owe it to them to let them know that. And I also owe it to myself to let them know that because if I have a sincere interest in someone, but I'm not being upfront or honest or revealing that, then I'm also selling myself short on what I could have that I want in my life, right? So it's important for me to show up to them in that way. I owe it to them and I owe it to myself, but I don't owe more than that, right? And there's a, there's a, I guess I'd say it's like a, it comes with wisdom, right? It comes with wisdom when you get to a place where you start to recognize that there is something that's owed. There is a certain amount that is owed but I want to recognize what that is and give the proper amount and not more than that. And even, even that, right? Like even I, I want to give what's proper and not more than that. That is also a message that you send to yourself, right? Like my, my commitment to myself to not give more than is rightfully owed. That's a message to myself about who I am and what I deserve. And so how do we do this, right? Because I know, I know a lot of you get this intellectually, but How do we do it? Because you might be sitting by the phone right now waiting for someone to call you or text you and you're, you're like, well, I can put my phone down and I can go do the dishes or I can go vacuum the floors or I can go try to write a book or I can do whatever. But despite that, I'm still obsessively thinking about them. Like I can put my phone down, but my phone won't put me down. And some of you might feel that way. And so what is the process to develop this internal security. And that's what I want to speak a little bit about here. And what I want to say is the first thing is to get comfortable with your own solitude. There's a, there's a quote and uh, forgive me. I can't, I can't tell you exactly who quoted it, but um, it, it, it says something to the effect of, Loneliness is the word we use for the misery of being alone. And solitude 
is the word we use for the joy of being alone. And most of us have been taught that there's something wrong with being alone. You know, like if, if you think back to being in school and you look at the kid who ate alone in the lunchroom, right? And how did everybody look at that kid who was eating alone in the lunchroom? Or if you sat alone in the hallway, right? Or if you didn't have a big group of friends around you when you walked through school. And what were the assessments that people made about that? And I mean, this shows up, this shows up in so many ways, right? Songs like one is the loneliest number, <laughs> right? And just, I mean, if you really think about the ways in which our society characterizes being alone and the messages that we are given about being alone and how from the time you were born, you've seen all the people who were alone or singled out or, or like, you know, they weren't picked on the sports teams or they weren't picked for the parties or, you know, you had your birthday party and nobody showed up, right? Or, or things like that. And how we've characterized that, the meaning we have given that and what it's created inside of us, whether you realize it or not, is a deep psychological fear of being alone. And so many of us have spent our whole lives trying to fit in, trying to be accepted by those group of people, trying to be accepted by our coworkers, trying to be accepted by our families, trying to be accepted by, you know, I mean, any social group that we admire and feeling this survival need to like be accepted or fit in and like largely with people and groups that we don't even necessarily like or vibe with. But we do it because there is this deep-seated fear of loneliness. And it's not even the feeling of loneliness. I mean, that can be painful. I mean, I remember loneliness. That can be painful. But it's not even the feeling itself. It's the meaning we give it in our minds. Right? Like, yes, I'm alone. And maybe I feel lonely or I feel sad being alone. But then on top of that, I give that meaning. I'm a loser. I have no value. I'm not wanted. And this is the meaning we've given being alone. And so what it's created inside of us is this deep psychological fear of being alone. And it, it gets to the point where a lot of us would prefer to be in an unfulfilling relationship versus being single. And we might not be happy when we're at home with that person, but at least we get the social gratification of going out into the world and having everyone know that we're married or having everyone know that someone chose us. And so we get the social gratification of that. And even though we're not happy at home, we sell out our internal happiness in our intimate lives for the social admiration of having the love or at least appearing to have the love that people want. And this is so sick and twisted, right? And if you think about how every, every choice, every action or lack of action or choice or lack of choice is a statement to yourself about who you are. Well, what is the message that you are sending to yourself when you cling to relationships that are unfulfilling just to avoid being alone? 
What's the message you send to yourself when you do that? And so the most extraordinary people, the most extraordinary people have confronted and integrated their own loneliness. They have actually learned to turn their loneliness into solitude. They have come to find the joy of being alone. You know, there's, there's something that doesn't happen when you're constantly trying to be in relationship with other people. And what doesn't happen is you don't get to know yourself. Because what you're doing is you're constantly looking into the eyes of other people and saying, tell me who I am. Right? You're looking into the eyes of other people and you're defining yourself by what they see in you. Or at least what you think they see in you, because you can never really know. And so when you are constantly trying to be in relationship with other people, whether it's in a social context, in a business context, in a romantic context, if you are constantly trying to be in relationship with other people, you are constantly defining yourself by what you think they see in you. And you never get to know who you are apart from that. You know, a, a big part of my story, something I've shared often, was that I, I spent a couple years in jail when I was 18. And um, if you know if you know my story, I was addicted to drugs and, you know, a lot of that. And then um, what ultimately happened, long story short, there was a bad drug deal. 15 minutes later, the police raided my house. And then I get put in the back of a car. And <laughs> the next two years of my life, I'm in jail. Long story short. Um, anyway, I, I say all that to say that I think... A lot of my first awakening experiences happened in jail. And what I noticed in jail, and, and I had, I actually made some really great friends in jail. There were, there was me and a group of, of my buddies. And I would say like, I've never experienced family like that outside of jail. Like, and I'm not, I'm only in touch with one of those people today, but what we had in jail was like one of the one of the closest knit families I've ever had. Um, really interesting experience. But I, I say that to say that I had my friends, I had my close buddies, and we looked out for each other and we took care of each other. But then most of the time I spent alone. And actually, it was so interesting to see how many people were constantly trying to like be acknowledged within the social dynamics of jail, right? Like I, I want to fit in with this gang. Or I want to fit in with this group of people, or I want the dorm I'm in to look up to me or admire me. And like there was so much performing going on in jail. Like people like, look at me, look at me, admire me, like me, right? And everyone was trying to be like the jail rock star. And for me, and maybe I was just wired a little bit different in this way, but I got very clear very early on that I don't care what any of these people think of me. Like jail is not the place in the world where I want to be a superstar. Like, I just got very clear about that early on. And so I was, it was very easy for me to let go any kind of need for social approval in jail. And so what I would do is I would sleep all day and I would stay up all night. I'd get up, I'd get up for meals and, I, and I'd eat with everybody and I might stay up, you know, for a little while after a meal and, and chat or whatever, but then I'd, then I'd go back to sleep. And I would sleep most of the day. Now, part of it was probably because I was like chronically depressed, but the other part of it was because I didn't want to be immersed in that energy. I wanted to create my own energy. And what I would do is I would sit up all night and I would write 
I would read, I would meditate, I would pray, I would read holy books and scripture. I read the whole Bible front to back. I read, I, I mean, I learned, I learned how, about yoga. I learned about meditation. And what I, what I really learned in a nutshell is I learned who I am. And up until that point in my life, I had never spent time in solitude. I had never spent time with myself. My whole life had been trying to fit in with people, trying to get acceptance, trying to get love, trying to get approval. And for the first time in my life, I figured out who I was. And coming out of jail, I knew who I was. I knew what I wanted from life. I turned my entire life around and I went out to create all of it, which now I've created most of it, at least, at least a base level of it, and I'm expanding from there. But I, I say all this to say that it was the time spent in solitude where I developed the courage and the confidence to be my own human. I developed the courage and the confidence to be myself. You know, it, it was so interesting because... When I went to jail, my social circles at the time, some of them went to college, some of them went to rehab, some of them ended up just partying and doing drugs and, and living that life, some of them went to the military. But at the time, you know, I was, I was doing my best to keep in touch with all the people I knew on the outside, and I would see them you know, going to college, getting jobs, starting their life or going to parties. And, and I would hear about stories of like what my friends were doing on the outside and, and, you know, they were going to parties and stuff. And, and I would, I would hear about like my buddy in the army and, you know, how he's serving his country. And, and like, you know, just, I would be in touch with what was happening to all my friends on the outside. And I would feel like such a deep sense of inadequacy. And like, here I am, doing nothing with my life while they're out there having all these experiences and they're in relationships and they're having sex and they're having fun and they're adventuring and they're doing something with their lives and they're getting jobs and making money. And here I am doing nothing. And I, I felt this like deep sense of inadequacy. And there was nothing I could do about it. Right? Like I couldn't go make money. I couldn't go get into a relationship. Like there was nothing I could do about it. I just, I couldn't even do drugs to like, to forget about it. Right? Like I just had to be with it. And like, man, it was not fun at the time. But I'll tell you, like, that was one of the greatest gifts of my life because we spent so much time comparing ourselves to other people. Right? And am I doing what they're doing? Am I living the life that they're living? Is my life as good as theirs? And, and we're always trying to catch up, right? Oh, so-and-so's doing this. I got to catch up, right? Oh, so-and-so just got married. When am I going to get married? And, you know, we're, we're like always comparing ourselves to other people. And I was doing that same thing, but instead of doing what I had done my whole life, where I tried to keep up with them, I was stuck. I had to stand still. And so I was comparing myself to all of them and just sitting with the deep feeling of inadequacy. And what I discovered was underneath that deep feeling of inadequacy were all my gifts. 
And when I was in jail, I started to write. I wrote books. I wrote whole books. Haven't done it since, actually, by the way. Funny enough, haven't done it since. But I wrote whole books. I read over a thousand books in two years. I learned probably more in that two years than I had learned in the entire 18 years prior to that. I, I learned to meditate and I got in touch with the spiritual essence of myself that I didn't even know existed before that. I, at times, felt my entire body full to overflowing with love to the extent that I was like literally vibrating and my whole room was full of light. I can't even explain, like it doesn't even make any logical sense what I'm saying right now. But this was my experience. Like I would feel myself full to overflowing with light and love and my whole room would light up and my body would be vibrating. Like this was my own energy inside of me that was there the whole time, but I never accessed it while I was out in the world trying to chase every experience, trying to prove myself, trying to get acceptance, trying to get love. And so in the journey, there, there is a need there's a, a, like a, a, such a vital need to separate yourself from the noise and the busyness and the competition and the comparison and the trying to keep up and the trying to get acceptance and approval and love and all of this. Like there is such a vital need to separate yourself from all of that and go inside and find out who am I without the external stimulus. What do I value? What do I love? What do I care about? What do I put my stake in the ground in that I will not get off of? And I don't care what you say to me. I'm not getting off of it because this is who I am. Because I, I want you to, one of the most attractive things when you meet someone is them having that. Have you ever noticed that? Like we talk, we say that confidence is one of the most attractive qualities. Well, confidence is really that. Like what I just described, that is confidence. And when you meet someone and they have that, aren't they attractive? Like even if they're not physically attractive, even if you're not like, oh my God, you're so hot, I want to jump your bones, right? But like if, if you just get to know someone and they have that kind of internal fortitude where it's like, I know who I am, I know what I love, I know what I stand for, I put my stake in the ground on it, and I don't care what you say, you can't knock me off of it because this is who I am. Like when someone has that, man, like they are just sexy, aren't they? Like, and, and what's great about someone like that is they'll meet you and they'll tell you those four things, right? They'll be like, yeah, I, I care about you, I'm here for you. I want this to work. I'm willing to put my effort into it. But if you don't reciprocate it, they're like, okay. And they walk away. And, and the most amazing thing about someone like that is that your lack of reciprocation does not diminish their confidence. And why doesn't it diminish their confidence? Because their confidence is not conditional on your approval because their confidence comes from inside of them, because they know who they are. And I want to say, I think this lack of connection to that 
is the number one reason we struggle to find love. Because if you don't have that, if you don't have that, and then you meet someone and you're attracted to them, there is nothing inside of you that is tethering you to yourself. And so all of your energy is going to go out to them. And it's going to become all about, do they want me? Are they paying attention to me? Are they thinking about me? Are they seeing someone else? Am I going to lose them? What do I have to do to keep them? Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? And so if you find yourself in that mentality, where are they? What are they doing? Are they thinking about me? Do they want me? Do they like me? Am I going to lose them? What do I have to do? Did I say the right thing? Did I make a fool of myself? If you find yourself in that mentality, here's my advice. Be where your feet are right now. Where are your feet? Look down. There they are. Be there. That's the, that's the first step. Be where your feet are. Second step, have I done my part? Have I clarified those four things? Yeah, I have. Okay. I've, I've let them know that I care. I've let them know that I'm here. I've let them know that I want this. I let them know that I'm willing to put the work in and, and make it happen. They know that. I've done my part. So now the only other thing I can do, the only other thing I can do that's of any real value to me or anyone else is to make my next choice, my next decision, my next action a reflection of my highest truth, a reflection of the greatest version of myself. Now you might say, well, Shane, I don't even know what that is. And then I would say, go sit in a cave and figure it out. You don't have to sit in a cave. You could sit anywhere. <laughs> but the cave is an analogy, right? Because what do people do when, when the mystics go into the cave? What do they do? They separate themselves from everyone and everything. Right? So if you're sitting there and you say, I don't know what, that, what the action that would be reflective of my highest truth is. Well, then... The action that is reflective of your highest truth is to figure it out. Figure it out. Go sit in silence. Go meditate. Go pray. Go read a book. Go journal. Ask yourself, what do I love more than anything in the world? What is the most important things to me in my life? How can I do something to move those things forward today? Maybe I take my dog out and throw the ball around. Maybe I sit down and dedicate a few hours to moving the needle forward in my career and my business or developing some side hustle so I can get out of the job that I hate. Or any number of things. Maybe I call a friend or a family member. Maybe I play a game that I love. Maybe I create some art. Maybe I go out and spend time in nature. Maybe I sing. Maybe I play an instrument. Maybe I dance. But you see, first you've got to know yourself enough to know what that thing is. And secondly, you've got to love yourself enough to put your phone down and go do it. And by operating on these principles, 
right? Knowing what I want, knowing who I am, knowing what I love, and then loving myself enough to actually do that instead of wasting my life sitting by the phone waiting for someone else's attention. Practicing that is how you become lovable. You see, people say things like every human being is lovable. Not true. Not true. Every human being has the potential to be lovable. But the people who are truly lovable are the people who practice what I just said. Because here's the thing. If you haven't spent enough time with yourself, figuring out who you are, what you value, what matters to you, what you love, like, you're really not even a person. And uh, that could be very offensive, right? Uh, you are a person, okay? But you're not a fully developed person. You're like half a person. Because you have a body, you have a mind, you have emotions, you've got all the hardware, right? It's all there, but it's not being put to its highest use. And the... The sad truth is that that does make you unlovable. Like people, people who are constantly putting their worth outside of themselves are constantly chasing attention and approval and like, like people who live that way consistently push love out of their life. It's not that you, again, it's not that you don't have the potential to be lovable. It's not that there's not greatness inside of you. It's not that you don't have all the qualities that could make someone fall in love with you and worship the ground you walk on. It's all there. But it's not being developed because instead of developing it, you're chasing things outside of yourself. And so you might meet someone who on the surface, like, and this is what happens a lot of times. You'll meet someone and they'll go like, oh my God, you're super hot. And you'll be like, oh my God, you're super hot. You'll be like, we should be super hot together. And it's like, okay, let's do it. And everything's good, right? Everything's good. It's all moving along amazingly. The attraction's there, the passion's there, the heat is there, the fun is there. But then little by little, you start to become afraid. You become afraid you're going to lose the person. You become afraid you're going to sabotage it somehow. You become afraid they're going to lose interest, that they're going to want something else. And then what starts to happen is you start to chase rather than develop. And little by little, that person starts to feel I don't know. I, th I thought this person was awesome, but I don't, it just doesn't feel the same way it did before. I thought this person was great, but you know, it just doesn't, uh, something feels off. I don't know. It's like, I really liked them, but, and, and then, and then they start to distance themselves and then you become more afraid and then they distance themselves more and then you act out more and then that pushes them away. And then before you know it, the relationship falls apart. And it was never because you weren't enough. You were enough the whole time. But in your own mind, 
you made yourself not enough. In your own mind, the relationship rose up onto this pedestal, but you stayed down here. And the space between you and the relationship became so great that you couldn't hold it anymore. You see, it is, it is always, always, always about your relationship with yourself. And every interaction, romantic interaction that you find yourself in is training you to have a stronger relationship with yourself. Right? Like every romantic relationship that you find yourself in is training you to have a stronger relationship with yourself. And when we rise to that, right? When we rise to that and we, like, I think all of us are going to feel insecure at times in relationships specifically, in romantic relationships specifically. It's part of the nature of it, right? Like, you know, even if you're totally secure at work and you're totally secure as a parent and you're totally secure with your family and you're totally secure with your friends, like you might be totally secure in every area of your life. But I think all of us, because no relationship touches us as deeply, as vulnerably, and as intimately as a romantic partnership, they just get in there in a way that other relationships don't. And I think all of us are going to feel some insecurity around that in some way, at some point, in some shape. And the, the secret is, when you feel that insecurity, to go into yourself and strengthen yourself internally. The trick or the trap is when you feel that insecurity to go outside of yourself. You know, I often, I often say to clients or in the Inspired Love program when I'm working with somebody, like I'll often say that, yeah, there are conversations to be had, right? There are important conversations to be had. But before you go rushing into that next conversation to define the relationship, how about you settle and soothe your own anxiety, your own experience around the relationship? Because if you're trying to get some security from someone else before you've created it for yourself, it's probably not going to go the way you want it to. Because you are going to create in that interaction the equivalent of what you feel inside of your body. Right? You're going to create in that interaction a reflection of the vibrational context that you're bringing with you. And so many of us are so quick to rush into that next conversation, to try to push the needle forward, to try to get the answers we want. But it can be so much more powerful to just let it play out. And so this is the last thing I want to say about this. I've seen a couple questions coming in. I'm going to, I'm going to jump into the questions in a moment. But there's, there's a critical element of this that I haven't touched on yet, and I want to touch on it quickly is the idea of self-soothing. The idea of learning to soothe your emotional experience as you're navigating a relationship. 
Because I'd say most of the conversations that you need to have or like the actual times when you're going to move the needle forward in the relationship, those opportunities are often going to come up very organically. They're often going to come up in, in just natural conversation. Like you're not going to have to carve that out, right? Like those, if you're, if you're in the right state, if you're feeling secure and confident and showing up in the best possible way, you're not going to have to carve out those opportunities. Those opportunities are going to present themselves naturally. Your biggest role often, of course there are exceptions, but your biggest role often is to be patient, to let things unfold naturally, and to soothe your anxiety as you do. Right? Someone will say to me, like, I haven't gotten a text in four hours. Should I text him? And I'd say, well, you could, but wouldn't it be nice to know how long they'll actually go without you pushing them? Like, wouldn't that be useful information? You know, where people be like, I, I haven't heard from him in three days. Should I reach out? I'll be like, you could, and maybe you should. I mean, I'm not saying that you never reach out, but in some instances, wouldn't it be helpful to know how many days they're willing to go. If they're willing to go five days or 10 days or 20 days, wouldn't that be useful information for you? And you see what we do is we say, I haven't heard from him in three days. I'm going to reach out. And then we reach out and we hear from him and we feel like, okay, I feel okay. I feel good. I heard from him. Things are all good. They were just busy. No big deal. I feel good. And then another three days goes by. And now you're in the same position you were before. And then you reach out again. Oh, good. I heard from them. It's all good. They're, they're, they're busy. They're going through a lot right now, but it's all good. And then another three days goes by. And so you see, when you don't know how to soothe your own anxiety, you just kind of keep yourself locked in that cycle, dependent on external validation to feel better. But look, this person left to their own devices they might not text for five days, 10 days, 20 days. They might never text again. And if you didn't need their attention so badly, what you could do is you could use that space when you're waiting for them to text you to develop yourself emotionally, to develop your internal fortitude, your emotional fortitude, your ability to be with the discomfort Right? You might try different practices, different breathing practices, different, like there's ETF and tapping and um, different meditations and, you know, different uh, ways of exercising or moving your body or dancing, right? But you might, you might try different things. You might learn different ways of moving the energy in your body so you can relax, so you can feel at ease. You might develop a certain mindset or a certain perspective that says, well, you know, if I don't hear from them, it's not the end of the world. And if they're, if they're not that interested, it's okay. And it's better that I know that now than later. And, you know, if, if they're not the one for me, then I know that I'm going to find their equivalent. And that's totally okay with me, right? Like you might, if you worked on soothing yourself, you might actually get to the other side of it where you develop a different perspective of the situation, a different emotional relationship with the situation. 
And so this is where, this is where rather than constantly reaching out for that next hit of dopamine, where you feel momentarily satisfied, you want to practice sitting in the challenge and soothing yourself through it. Being patient. Let the person reveal themselves. You may be pleasantly surprised. You may be grossly disappointed. Both are very useful information. And, you know, it's, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous to start assuming who someone is when you barely know them. You know, you have a great date, a great phone call, a great first couple dates, great night in the bedroom. And you start assuming that you know who they are or where this relationship is going. It's very dangerous. You know, like, I share, I share the story of my wife and, and myself a lot of how, you know, the first year of our relationship was very uncertain. We almost broke up a bunch of times. We had a lot of stuff to work through. I was working through things on my end. She was working through things on her end. We were long distance. And it was very uncertain. And that might sound like a nightmare to some people, right? Some people might be like, oh my God, if I was in a relationship like that, I would just leave. Well, what I want to say is all relationships are like that. The only difference between me and my wife is we were honest about it. We were honest with each other and we were honest with ourselves. A lot of people like to live in this fantasy that, oh, we're going to be together forever. Even though you just met even though you have no idea what the next year is going to bring and how you're going to work through it together. And it is to become the greatest expression of yourself. You can't avoid anything. Right? I think I talked about this last week, actually, right? To become the greatest expression of yourself, you cannot avoid anything. You have to face up to all of it. Everything you're afraid of, you have to face it. There's actually, um, there's a meditation in a, certain, in a certain sect of Buddhism. They do a meditation. Uh, I, I don't remember the name of it right now, but I'm actually, I'm going to include a version of this in the Inspired Love program. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Those of you who are in the program or thinking about joining the program, you're getting a glimpse of what's coming. Um, I'm going to include this meditation where what the Buddhists do is they meditate on their own death. And they'll, they'll take, um, in the certain sect where this is practiced, they have nine images of decaying bodies. And this might be a little gross for some of you, but, but I just try to, try to not get grossed out by it and try to get the underlying message. So what they would do is they would have nine images of a decaying body in different levels of decay. And so the first one might be like right after death. And the second one might be like when rigor mortis is set in. And then the third one might be like, you know, when the flesh is starting to fall off the body. And then all the way down to when it's just a skeleton. And what, what they do is they go one by one and they meditate on each of these pictures. 
And in meditating on each of these pictures, they say, that is me. That is me. And what they're doing is they're dealing with the reality that one day their body is going to do what the body in the picture is doing. Right? They're really facing up to that reality. They're confronting it head on. And psychologically speaking, the idea is that once I have come to terms with my own death, once I've really integrated that my body is going to decay just like those bodies in the pictures did, that one day I will be nothing more than a pile of bones in the ground. And I've really integrated that and accepted that on the deepest level for myself. Only then can I be truly alive. Right? Once I have come to terms with the fact that I'm going to die and I no longer have any fear around it, then I can be truly alive in my life. Well, this is what I'm going to do in the Inspired Love Program. Is we're going to have nine stages of spending your life alone. And so you're going to go through, well, you know, maybe the first stage is I just imagine myself for years going on one date after another, after another, after another, and I never end up in a relationship with anyone. And then maybe the next stage is I just find myself in a place where I just, uh, I just, um, have accepted the fact that it's not going to happen for me and I stop trying, right? And then maybe I see myself living in a home by myself and doing things to occupy my time without a partner. And then maybe I see myself growing old and sitting in my rocking chair with no one next to me and on and on and on. But you go through nine stages of being alone and you actually face the fear of that and integrate it. And once that fear is gone, once you've integrated the fear of being fully alone, you can actually be fully in relationship with other people because it's not about clinging to them or getting something from them or having them meet your needs. You've already come to terms with the fact that you're going to die alone. So now you can be absolutely free, absolutely alive, absolutely engaged, absolutely your most complete expressed version of yourself, the irony is that that gives you the highest likelihood for not ending up alone. And so you can't avoid anything, right? Like any, anywhere in your life, in your consciousness, that you're hiding from something, it's going to find you. It's going to find you. Those moments when you're waiting for that text or that phone call and you're feeling that anxiety in your body just waiting for that person to reach out and text or call you. Those are the moments when you are avoiding something that you've been avoiding your whole life. You're avoiding that fear. I mean, ultimately, it is that fear of being alone. It's that fear of this relationship not working out and the next one not working out and the next one not working out and the next one not working out. And you're so afraid that none of them are going to work out and you're going to spend your whole life alone and ultimately at the end of your days, you're going to end up alone. And because you're so afraid of that and you're trying so hard to make sure that doesn't happen, you're putting all the pressure of your whole life on this random person you barely know. And all that pressure is going to make them turn and run away. 
And it's not only the pressure you put on them, it's the pressure you put on yourself too. Like, I want you to just check in right now. All of you who are listening to this, whether you're live with me, whether you're hearing the podcast, I want you to check in with yourself right now. And can you feel in your body the weight of of this responsibility that you carry to try to make sure your whole life is going to work out? I'm going to find love and I'm going to find happiness and I'm going to find wealth and I'm going to live where I want to live and I'm going to do all the things I want to do. Like, can you feel how heavy that is? When you're trying to like get everything you want in life and make sure you don't miss out on anything, you're trying to push it and force it and control it and manipulate it and and it's always backed by this fear of I'm going to miss out, right? The fear of missing out. It's all, I'm not going to get what I need. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to be left alone. I'm not going to have the experiences I want. I'm not going to have that beautiful Instagram lifestyle. And can you feel in your body like the weight of carrying that every day and comparing yourself to everyone else and you get on social media and you see what everyone else is doing and then you say, why aren't I doing that? And, and, then, you, and then you go, maybe I need to do X, Y, or Z and so I can start living like that because these people know how to live and clearly I don't. Like, can you feel the weight of that in your body? It's heavy. It's heavy and it hurts. And every moment that you live in that, every moment that you live in that, you are reinforcing a message and an idea for yourself that you are not enough, that you do not matter, that you are not lovable, that you are not worthy. And that only when you become more of X, Y, and Z will you be enough. Like, can you feel the weight of that? Can you feel how painful it is to carry that? And can you see the possibility that all of it could fall away right now if you could simply just be where your feet are? Accept all of life in this moment as it is. I don't need to change anything. I don't need to fix anything. I don't need to make anything better. I accept all of life in this moment as it is right now. I accept all of myself in this moment as it is right now. I leave all the results of the future if this person is going to call me or if they're not, if we're going to get married or if we're going to go our separate ways. I leave all the results of the future in the hands of a higher wisdom than my own. And the only thing I need to do right now is make this moment an expression of my highest truth. Make this moment an expression of my highest good. I want you to remember this. Anytime you feel stress, anytime you feel anxiety, anytime you feel fear, anytime you sit there and go, like, am I going to find love? Is it ever going to happen for me? Am I ever going to find that person? Anytime you feel that, Anytime you're afraid of that, I want you to remember me saying this. I want you to hear my voice in my head. And remember, all you have to do is be where your feet are, accept all of life as it is in this moment, and make this moment right now a reflection of your highest good in life. If you do that, love will find you. Why? 
because you will become a living embodiment of love. That's it. Like, how could love not find you when you live that way? If you make a commitment to make, if like, if you make a commitment to make every single moment to the best of your ability an expression of your highest truth, then you will become an expression of your highest truth. And the sad fact is, is that a lot of us are spending many, many, many of our moments expressing our lowest truth, our most desperate, depraved, inadequate, insufficient, unlovable, unworthy, undesirable, disempowered. Most of us are spending so much of our lives living into that truth. And then wondering, why isn't love coming to me? It's not coming to you because you've got to meet love where it is. You can't ask love to become something it's not to meet you where you are. You've got to meet love where it is. And really, you know, this whole, like we all, we all kind of have this feeling. I was talking to a client about this yesterday where she was saying to me, like, I just want, I just want someone to come and take care of me. I just want someone to tell the contractors what they're supposed to do and to pay the bills and to, it's not even about money. It's just, I just want someone to take care of me. I just want someone to provide for me. I just want someone to handle the responsibilities in my life. And I said to her, I said, well, you know, we all kind of feel that way. Even men kind of feel that way, right? Women are sitting around going, I want a man to take care of me. And men are going, who's going to take care of me, right? Like we all kind of feel that way. And what that is, is that's our wounded inner child wanting our parents to take care of us, right? That's, our, that's something from a very, very long time ago, very, very early on in our lives, when we recognized how vulnerable we are. And we looked to our parents and we said, please protect me. Please keep me safe because I'm so vulnerable. And that's something that has never fully left us, right? That's still with us. We still carry that. And so what we really want is to not have to rise to that occasion, not have to rise to where love is, but rather for love to come down to where we are and provide for us and meet all of our needs and keep us safe and protect us. And... It would be nice if that was the way it worked, but it's not, right? And what I'm going to say is that's not the game you signed up for. At the end of the day, you are perfect spirit. You are perfect, whole, and complete. When this life is over, you will go back to where you came from, and nothing will have changed. And it will all be godness forever. But this game that we're playing right here, this life that we signed up for right here, is a process of growth and evolution. And so in this life, love is on an energetic level that is out of reach for a lot of us. 
And our curriculum is to find that level, to match that level, to meet that level. And when we do, love will be there waiting for us. All right, I see a few questions here. I'm going to jump in, grab a couple of these questions, answer as many as I can today. If you have questions, just go ahead, drop them in the chat. I'll get to as many as I can. I'm going to start with this question from Iwana. She says, can you tell us about codependency? Let me put it this way. We all, we all kind of believe that there is something inadequate or insufficient about us, right? From... From the time, you know, we're children and we grow up, like growing up in this world, we all basically get that impression somehow, some way. Um, you know, your circumstances might be different from mine, but we all get that impression somehow, some way. Now, if we lived in a different world, that might not be the case. You know, if we weren't dealing with war and famine and people ghosting on dating apps and all this stuff, life might feel very different. We might not grow up thinking that we're inadequate, but that's not the way life is. So we all, we all kind of have a baseline of feeling inadequate, right? We all kind of start with this inadequacy or this, at least in our adult lives, we all kind of start with this inadequacy, this feeling of insufficiency. And what the media has done is sold us a story that says, when you find love, all of that will go away. And, and I do think it's largely the media that does this. It's, it's the romantic comedies and the music. And I mean, it's, and it's cultural too. Like I, I think the culture impresses it on us, but largely like there's, there's this cultural promise that your feelings of inadequacy or insufficiency will go away when somebody loves you. Uh, of course, the, um, the caveat being that they have to be somebody who's attractive and successful and, you know, and you might define those metrics a little bit differently than how other people do, but it's gotta be someone that in your own mind, you have on some kind of pedestal, right? If I, if I hold this person in the esteem that they are attractive, they are successful, they are worthy, they are capable, they are intelligent, right? If I hold them in that esteem and then they love me, well, then I'm going to feel lovable, right? That, that's kind of the, that's the narrative. And so we're all kind of looking for that from day one, I think. And this starts young. I mean, this starts in like middle school, I mean, sometimes elementary school, but, but it starts young that we start trying to have our feelings of insufficiency be canceled out by the love of someone else. And so that's where it starts. And then what happens in a relationship is two people will link up on this basis. And in the beginning, it's really great because you have all those evolutionary chemicals I was talking about in the beginning, right? That, that makes you just super drawn to each other, super attached. And then, and then there's the, uh, the honeymoon phase. And so everything's great. But then as I spoke about in the beginning, that fades out. And what starts to happen is the, the feelings of insufficiency and inadequacy begin to resurface because you can't escape yourself in a relationship. Any relationship, no matter how it appears from time to time, will always become a reflection of how you feel about yourself long-term. 
any relationship, no matter how it appears in this moment or that moment, in the long term will always unfold to become a reflection of how you feel about yourself. I'm talking specifically about a romantic relationship. Other relationships to a lesser degree, but romantic love specifically will always reflect how you feel about yourself. So what happens in a codependent situation is the relationship starts to make you feel inadequate because that's how you feel about yourself. And so the relationship is constantly reinforcing your feelings of inadequacy. And in the codependent dynamic, what you do is you always try harder to have that relationship meet your needs. Like the codependent dynamic is always about like, can we get back to where we used to be? Can we get back to where we were when you made me feel like I was enough? And so in the codependent dynamic, you're always working and pushing and trying and insisting and forcing for this relationship to make you feel better about yourself. And the harder you try, the worse you feel about yourself. And sometimes this can be happening on both sides, right? Both people are doing this. Sometimes this can be happening on one side where you might have someone who's a little more secure with themselves and they have kind of the upper hand in the relationship. And then there's this person who's very codependent on that person, always trying to, again, get that person to make them feel like they're enough. So it can show up a little bit differently. The, I think the most important thing about this is what I've talked about already today is when you see yourself in that kind of codependent dynamic, when you see yourself trying to prove yourself or trying to, you know, vie for that love or that affection or that attention, right? That's when you really got to step back, give them some space, right? If they're not in my face, I give them some space, right? <laughs> so give them some space and let them come to you on their own terms while you self-soothe, as I was talking about, you get to know yourself, you develop that security. And I, I want to say, you know, I think there is a degree that you have to do on your own outside of a relationship. Like if, if you are someone who has very, very, very codependent tendencies, if it's like extreme, then chances are you're going to push away anyone who dates you. Because if it's like, if it's extreme codependency, it's just going to get very uncomfortable for that person very early on and you're going to push them away. If it's not so extreme, then you might be able to make it through the beginning stages of the relationship before things get very uncomfortable. But then you're going to have to be aware enough and able enough to do the work within yourself so that you don't sabotage the relationship. And so I would say like, I've shared often the story about this woman that I dated right before my wife. She was the last person I dated before my wife and she wanted to have an open relationship. And I was like, I'll try it. Why not? You know, like I'm, I'm pretty open-minded. So I'm like, whatever, you know, I'll try it. It was a nightmare. It was awful, horrible. Like it was, it was like one of the worst things I ever did. But, um, but one thing that was great about it was I really got the opportunity to like learn how to self-soothe and work through some of the stuff because like it wasn't even like I suspected she was with someone else. I knew she was with someone else. We made an agreement about it, right? So like, it's not like when we weren't talking, I was like, is she thinking about me? Is she seeing someone else? I'm like, she's probably with someone else right now. She's probably hooking up with them and I've just got to be okay with this. 
Now, I, I think long term, like I didn't want that in my life. I think I wanted more of a commitment, but it was a great exercise for me because like I, I literally had to sit there and be like, like talk about the, the meditation where you're envisioning your own death, right? Like, like I'm literally sitting there like she's probably having sex with somebody right now and like literally imagining that in my mind and having to come to terms with that. It was a great exercise for me. It was wonderful. Ultimately, I decided I didn't want to be with her, but it was a great exercise. Now, when I met my wife, so I'm saying this to say that like my, co my own codependent tendencies, I worked through them to a large degree on my own. I think like what I shared about when I was in jail and how much time I spent alone and just like literally being with myself and writing and reading and meditating, right? Like, like that was just uh, such a huge part of like working through my own codependent tendencies. And then all the years that I was dating and all the times I was put in the friend zone and ghosted and all that, you know, all that stuff. It's like, it's like, it was, um, it was just a large part of me working through my own codependency. This open relationship was a big part of it. But now by the time I got in relationship with my wife, there was a whole other level of it that I had to work through, right? Like when we started getting into, you know, our second year and our third year, and we started like having a having a, a relationship that was getting into stages that none of my previous relationships had ever gotten to. There were levels of codependency that I never had the opportunity to work with before because my relationships had never made it that far. But because I had done, you know, kind of the work in stages over the years, I had enough of it that I was able to know what to do in those moments. And, um, Last thing I'll say about this is I think the biggest problem with codependency, I mean, there are a lot of problems with it, but one of the biggest is that it creates resentment. When, when you set another person up to be able to meet all the needs that you're supposed to be meeting for yourself, like when you put another human being in that impossible position, they will fail because you set them up to fail. And then you will hate them for it. And long term, when couples are codependent, but they never separate, they just keep that codependency going on for, you know, their entire lives. They ultimately hate each other. And this is when you see those old couples that you can tell they've been together forever, but there's just no love between them. Like they just bicker and criticize and fight and argue and, you know, make fun of each other in front of their friends. And, you know, like you can tell there's just no love between them, but they've been together for 50 years. Like they're probably codependent. And over the years, they've just become so frustrated and so bitter about the fact that this person never, like in their minds, what they're thinking is my partner never lived up to their end of the bargain, right? They were supposed to make me happy and they didn't do it. And now I'm just stuck with this schmuck of a person that doesn't add any value to my life, but I can't leave them. Right. And, and so that's, that's like where codependency leads long-term. Um, Robin Simmons says, I've been depressed for two weeks. Can't get it together. Don't want to be around people. I just feel sadness. Okay. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this one, Robin, but I want to send you some love. First of all, just sending some love your way. And I want to, I want to illustrate how this is a perfect opportunity for you to check in with exactly what we're talking about today. Okay. Be where your feet are.
Now, first of all, why are you depressed? Well, they say, and I don't know if this is true 100% of the time, but they say that regret creates depression. So over-focus on the past creates depression. Over-focus on the future creates anxiety, right? When I'm constantly ruminating on the past, I feel depressed. When I'm constantly ruminating on the future, I feel anxious. Now, I don't know if that's 100% relevant for you, but it's just a place to look. So you feel depressed right now. Can't get it together. Don't want to be around people. I just feel sadness, okay? If you were to take today's lesson, be where your feet are and apply it to what you're feeling right now, that'd be a great place to start. Because you're probably not where your feet are if you're depressed. If you, if you are actually where your feet are, you would probably feel a sense of relief, peace, if not joy, but you would feel like some calmness come over you. So I imagine as you're depressed, you're probably ruminating in your mind a lot, thinking about either the past or the future, thinking about aspects of your life that are not fulfilled and possibly how they're never going to be fulfilled how they're never going to happen for you or how hard it's going to be for them to happen. And I know you, Robin, because we've been chatting on here for a long time. So I know you and I've heard your story and I know some of what's going on for you. I don't know everything, but I know some of what's going on for you. And so I assume that you're in your thoughts and you're thinking about what is not here and now, but other things, the future, the past, mistakes you've made, things you wish you could have done differently, your hopes and dreams, and are they going to happen or are they not going to happen? And things, maybe what could I do to make them happen? Should I try this? Should I try that? And all of that creates an incredible amount of stress and pressure, right? Who's with me right now? If you're with me right now, tap that heart a few times because I know I'm not only talking to Robin right now, okay? So, so all of that, all of that constant ruminating and thinking creates an incredible amount of stress and pressure, right? It's heavy. It feels heavy in your body. It's, 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 it's pressure. It's, it's weight. If you could just be where your feet are right now and accept where you are, sure, maybe there are things about where you are right now that you don't love. But if you look, there are things you do love too. Even if it's just loving that it's a sunny day outside. And you might look outside and you might be like, well, it's raining, so that one doesn't work. All right, well, <laughs> I tried. But maybe you love it's a sunny day outside. Maybe you love a pet that you have or a friend that you have. Maybe you love a comfy chair that you sit in. Maybe there's a favorite show on TV that you love to watch. Maybe you love making a cup of tea or a latte for yourself, right? So I'm just throwing things out here, right? But there could be things about where your feet are right now that you could love. And so if you were to first just stop all the ruminating, all the thinking, all the stressing, all the pressure, and just say, I'm going to be right here right now, and I'm going to accept where I am right now. And there are things about where I am right now that make me sad. So I'm going to open my heart to that, and I'm going to feel that. And I don't want to be around people right now, and that's okay. I don't need to be around people. I can just be with myself right now. You know, maybe you're finding some solitude right now, right? Maybe you're finding some things in yourself that you didn't know were there. Maybe this season of not wanting to be around people is going to ignite a spark inside of you that makes you the life of the party in the next season. 
right? But you've got to accept and allow where you are right now. You've got to be where your feet are. Even when you say, I don't want to be around people, there's something in that that says, I should want to be around people. Right? No, it's okay. I don't want to be around people. That's okay. Why? Because I want to be with myself right now. Even if you were to make it, change it from, I don't want to be around people to, I want to be with myself. Right? And so you start to, it's like, it's like turning the valve on the pressure, like, just let the pressure out a little bit, right? I'm depressed. Okay. It's okay to be depressed. I don't want to be around people. Okay. It's okay to not want to be around people. There are things in my life that I'm stressed out about, I'm afraid of. Okay, that's okay, that's normal. I can open my heart to that, I can feel that, I can let that be there. And then what do you do? Make this moment an expression of your highest truth. Maybe you take a nap, maybe that's your highest truth. Maybe you do some journaling. Maybe you go for a walk, maybe you get a big breath of fresh air. Maybe you make yourself a latte and sit by the fire. Maybe you play with your puppy or your cat or your bird or, or some wild animal you find outside. That might not be the best idea. Depends on the kind of animal. <laughs> but my point is, is that you, you allow and accept the experience you're having right now. You make this moment an expression of your highest truth, even if that's taking a nap, even if that's just making yourself a meal. And so much of our depression and our anxiety, and again, they're like, depression and anxiety are kind of two sides of the same coin. But so much of our depression and our anxiety is not about what we're feeling, but about the narrative that we're telling ourselves. Like, if you really think about what does depression feel like? It feels like a sinking black hole in my chest. Okay. That's not that bad. Like really, is, is it really that bad? Like if, if, you, if you take the mental narrative away from it and you just ask yourself what you're feeling, it feels like a sinking black hole in my chest. Like that's what depression feels like, at least to me. And I can like, and I actually like, I feel it. Like it feels like something inside of my chest is being pulled downward and like the breath is being taken out of me. It's like, <gasps> and it's like, <gasps> and it's like this sinking feeling that feels like it's being pulled downward. And when I close my eyes and, it look at, and I look inside, it looks like a black abyss spiraling downward and downward and downward forever. And that's the experience of depression, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, or you might have a slightly different version of it. Maybe it shows up slightly differently for you, but generally that's kind of what depression feels like. That's not that bad. I know that might sound crazy. What do you mean it's not that bad? Well, if you literally just deal with the sensations of it and not the mental story about it, it's actually not that bad. You have a sinking feeling in your chest. Maybe there's some mental imagery of darkness or, or you know, depth that goes with it. But that's all. When you add to it, how long am I going to be this way? It's been six days. Why aren't I out of it yet? 
How am I ever going to find love if I'm depressed like this? How am I ever going to get work done if I'm depressed like this? If I'm depressed like this, nobody's ever going to want to be around me. Oh, I'm still not out of it? Another day and I'm still in it? What's wrong with me? Nothing makes me better. I do this, it doesn't make me better. I do this, it doesn't make me better. I do this, it doesn't make me better. Nothing makes me better. It's probably going to be like this forever. When you add the narrative to the sensation, it gets a lot darker. So my recommendation, Robin, be with the sensation that is present right now. Allow that. Honor that. Don't make it wrong. Don't try to change it. Don't try to fix it. Don't beat yourself up for being depressed. Just be depressed. You know, it's like they say, oh, you wouldn't understand that unless you've seen the video. There's a, there's a video where this guy is interviewing a woman. She was one of the best weavers in, in all of Scotland. And um, he's interviewing this woman. She's one of the best weavers. And he says... He says, what do you think about when you weave? And she says, when I weave, I weave. I don't think, I weave. And it's like that, you know? When you walk, you walk. When you sing, you sing. When you dance, you dance. When you're depressed, be depressed. Right? Don't think about being depressed. Be depressed. Allow yourself the experience. Accept the experience of depression. And even though you're depressed, make this moment an expression of your highest truth. Again, if that's taking a nap, if that's going for a walk, if that's getting down on the floor with your puppy and rubbing his belly, or if it's making yourself a nice meal, or if it's ordering something on Uber Eats because you don't feel like cooking. But be where your feet are, be in the experience. Allow the experience. Make this moment a reflection of your highest truth. And just keep doing that in every moment. Your depression will pass. Unless you force it to stay in place by ruminating about it. All right. Uh, next question from La Dida. And she's asking, how do we show love to a guy going through a hard time so he feels seen and held? Oh, that's a good question. Good question. Nice, thoughtful question. I think a lot would depend on the guy. It would depend on where he is, what his needs are, what he wants. Um, the uh, Going back to what I said earlier, and I, this doesn't just go for guys. I think this goes for everyone. Like there are four things you need to let someone know, right? Let them know that you care. Let them know that you're here for them. Let them know that you want the relationship and let them know that you're willing to show up and work for it. Right? Like those are three things, some, or excuse me, those are four things that someone needs to know to really feel secure in a relationship with you. And then from there, I, I think it's, it's largely about him because he might want space when he's going through something hard. And if you're all up in his face trying to make him meals and write him letters and, you know, do all this stuff to make yourself feel better because you feel anxious about the fact that he is not feeling good. Well, he's not going to feel loved by that. He's going to feel suffocated by that. He might want to be held and snuggled, right? So you could, you could ask him if you're there with him and, and you could say, hey, you know, uh, would it help if I just put my arms around you and held you for a little bit? And he might actually say, you know, that'd be really nice. 
Maybe he puts his head in your lap and you stroke his hair. You know, maybe it is making him a meal. Or maybe it is saying, hey, I, I planned something nice for us. We're, we're going to go out. We're going to go for a walk in the woods. Then we're going to go get lunch. Then we're going to go, I don't know, whatever, right? But maybe it is planning something and, and letting him know that, you know, hey, I wanted to, I wanted to do something nice for us because I know you're going through a hard time and I just wanted to get your mind off of it. All of these things are ways to show love. The question you need to find out is how does he want to be loved? How does he want to be loved? What is the greatest way I could love him right now? And I would say the simple answer to that is to ask him and then to do it. Ask him, how can I, how can I love you? Or how can I support you right now? You know, you're, hey, I know if you're, if there's someone you're dating and you're on the phone with them or something, you could say like, hey, I just, I just wanted to say something. Like I, I know you're going through a really hard time lately and I want to be there for you the best I can. And I don't want to pressure you or suffocate you. You know, if you need space, I want you to have it. But I do just want you to know that I'm here. And if you want me to make you a meal or if you want me to just come by and snuggle with you for a little bit or you want me to plan a nice day for us to get out and get your mind off of things, I would love to do something like that. So just let me know. Right? Like that would be a really loving thing to say to someone. And they might say, yeah, you know, thank you so much. I'm good. I just need some space right now. Or they might say, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love it if you want to just come over and, and we could watch a movie together and snuggle or something. Like that might, that might be great, right? But, but again, you've got to make it about them. Sometimes when our partner is struggling, we get so uncomfortable with them struggling that we try to do something to make it better to make ourselves better. And that's not love. It's like my wife's, my wife's dad, wonderful man, wonderful man. I mean, he's, he's delightful and, he's, and he, he loves fiercely. But, you know, if, if someone in his family is not doing okay, he's like really, he gets really uncomfortable and he, he starts doing crazy stuff. Like, I'm going to build him a house or I'm going to like, or I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, he starts tr wanting to take some really crazy action to make it better for that person because it makes him so uncomfortable that they're uncomfortable. Right. He hasn't he hasn't really learned how to just be with someone and, and say, like, I'm here with you. And, and, you know, it's OK that you're going through that. And sometimes that's all people need from us is to let us is to is for us to let them know that we understand what they're going through and we care about them. And we're here. There's a Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a book. Um, I don't know if it was if it was called Being Love or How to Love. Uh, he has a few different ones, but. In one of them, he says that the greatest form of love is being there, right? Just, just, uh, just having someone know that you're there, even if you're not physically there, but just having them know that, that they could call you if they need to is one of the greatest forms of love. So, um, great question, really thoughtful, kind question, and I hope, uh, I hope you go let this guy how I hope you let this guy know how much you love him um, and that you're able to support him. Thank you for asking. Okay, um, I think I'm gonna take one more question. We're we're coming up on time here, and this is from Catherine. I'm gonna take this one. This will be the last one. 
So she says, how do you square taking ownership of your relationship's communication and creating the dynamic you want to see with the approach of let them know how you feel and let it go? Yeah, so I get the question. You're you're asking basically, how do I strike the balance between letting them know where I stand and letting them figure things out and being involved and being invested in, and actively creating it, right? How do I find the balance in that? Beautiful question, actually. And I, I know I know Catherine's not the only one who's wondering this. This is a question that a lot of people are asking. So how do I find that balance? How do I strike that balance? between letting it unfold on its own and trusting the outcome and being committed and engaged and invested. I think that being committed and engaged and invested has to do with how you show up in relationship with the person in real life in real time, right? So it has to do with the things you say to them the questions you ask, the needs you express, the things you ask for, the the being interested, the wanting to know about them, wanting to find out things, in the thoughtful actions you take, in the gestures you make, right? Like these are these are the ways that you become that you get engaged and invested in a relationship. Right? It's it's in the ways that you relate with someone in real life in real time when they're right in front of you or when you're on the phone with them, or when you're writing an email to them, right? But but those are the moments you invest with them. It's when you're actually interacting with them. And then, other than when you're actually interacting with them, the work is mostly on yourself, right? On soothing, on being patient, on trusting, on clarifying your needs, on clarifying your wants, on figuring out how to express that and when to express that. I've found most of the time when you charge in, like we need to have a talk and we're gonna we're gonna sit down and we're gonna hash this out and we're gonna figure it out. Most of the time that's misguided. Now look, again, if if there was something that was like a deal breaker or something that was like an egregious offense, or that was like, like it needed to be addressed. It, like it might be appropriate to say, listen, I just found out about something you and I need to talk about it right now. Like that might be appropriate. But aside from those kinds of extreme situations, generally the developing of a relationship doesn't require a lot of, we're going to talk about this. We're going to hash this out. Most of it can come up very organically. So I'll, I'll give a couple examples here because I want to clarify this and I know this is an important question. So when I was dating my wife, we talked every single night on the phone from day one, from like our first few dates and then, and then we talked every single night on the phone. And I called her every single night. And she, I mean, she might've called sometimes, but for the most part, I called her every single night. And she answered the phone every single night and she was receptive. I wanted to talk to her. She wanted to talk to me. She didn't have to ask me to call her. I called her on my own. I didn't have to ask her to pick up the phone. She was waiting for my call because she was looking forward to it. That was very natural. It was very, very natural, right? Neither one of us had to force that. So now let's say you're in a situation where you would like to talk to someone every night 
but it's not happening naturally. It's, you know, they're not just picking up the phone and calling you every night. Okay, well, this doesn't mean that you need to charge in and say, listen, we need to talk because I want someone who talks to me every night. And if you're not going to talk to me every night, then this relationship isn't going to work. Okay, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to wait for like a genuine, like heartfelt moment with that person. You know, maybe it's on your next date or maybe it's the next time they call. But wait for a moment when you're really connecting, right? And when the connection is happening naturally. And that would be the moment for you to say to them, you know, I really love it when we connect like this. And I, I often feel like it's so great when you, you know, you and I connect like this, but then there's also a lot of space in between. And I just, I feel like it'd be really nice if we could connect like this more often. You know, like, what would you think about if, if we just made 10, 15 minutes to talk every night? Would you be up for that? Right? So now there are a couple elements here. One, this came up naturally. Okay. You didn't charge in and say, we need to talk. It came up naturally, it came up organically. It came up in a moment of authentic connection. So you weren't forcing the connection. You weren't trying to make the connection. It came up naturally. The connection was already there. And now in that moment of natural, authentic connection, you were vulnerable. You said, this is what I want. This is what I like. This is what I enjoy. This is what I want more of. And then you also made a specific request. How would you feel if we made like 10, 15 minutes to talk every night? You will move a relationship forward so naturally when you do it in that way you will also like likely be very attractive to that person when you do it in that way and when you do it like again trying to push it or force it or like you just you create a lot of like hardship you know you create a lot like it feels like work it feels like oh and, and like this person always wants more and it's never enough and like you create a lot of that when you're not when you're not thriving on the moments of natural connection and allowing those to expand and rather you're trying to push someone to give you more like it just doesn't create the same energy it doesn't create the same feeling and here's what's really beautiful about this approach is that as you're navigating this approach in all the moments when you would have charged in to try to take control of the relationship and Let's talk it out and make sure I can get what I want here, right? In all the moments where you would have done that, you are instead learning to self-soothe, learning to be patient, learning to let things unfold, learning to wait, you know, and see what happens. So I, I think there's so much value. I think there's so much value in developing that patience developing that internal strength. And I see a question came in. Somebody says, how should I make him miss me? I need a response, please. Well, here's my response for you. Stop trying to make him miss you and go out in your life and become someone who's worth missing. There's my response for you. A little direct, I know. But, you know, this whole idea of how should I make him miss me? Stop it. Cut it out. It's not about him. It's about you being amazing in the world. And then if he doesn't miss you, someone else will. Like you've got to stop putting your greatness in the hands of other people. 
and start keeping it inside of yourself where it belongs. All right. I'm going to wrap up here. Uh, beautiful conversation today. Beautiful questions. Um, I really, really enjoyed diving into this with everyone. So sending you so much love wherever you are, whatever's going on for you. Um, I know these things that we talk about each week are, are probably some of the most challenging things that we ever confront in our life, in our lives, right? But it's, um, this is powerful stuff. And when you embody these tools, you will see real change in your life, your love, and your relationships. So sending so much love to all of you. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I'll see you back here next Tuesday. Take care. Bye, everybody. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.